It's straight business. On third and seven, backside pressure comes and it's stripped out. The ball stripped out by Jacob Martin. Motivated. Nice it's intercepted. Lonnie Johnson with the pick. Johnson down the sideline. Can he outrace everybody? He can. Touchdown, Texans. Second down and 11. Pressure up the gut and a sack. It's Omenahu again. He has had a nose for the quarterback tonight. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the great British Isles. Joined by a first-time guest this week, uh, Texans Doc the Good Doctor. John, how you doing? Doing some sterling work for the Texans Wire, so thanks very much for coming to join us. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's good, man. Our extra game this year. Um, and a never-ending list of stuff to talk about, so we're having to expand our uh, repertoire, I guess. But your article earlier in the off-season kind of got a bit of a lot of love online, Texans Twitter, about just kind of how you change your views of the team slightly and how you're sort of taking a David Cully. Do you want to kind of talk about that to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess to start, I think all Texans fans would say that this has been the off-season from hell. It's almost been soap opera-esque in terms of everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. You know, first we had the Easterby drama and then Watson demands a trade and then Watson has horrible allegations. So we lose him as an asset completely. And then our draft takes a lot of heat. The Davis Mills pick, obviously very controversial. So I guess that came from a place of when I was watching the Texans for a lot of this summer and in the spring, I was very much resentful of what, what's happening on Kirby. I think a lot of fans feel that way. And the David Coley hire struck me as one as this league is fantastic at, at finding talent. Uh, if you are talented, if you're good at something, they will find you and they will put you in a position to do that. And I said, if, if David Coley is, I believe he's 66. Uh, is that 66? Yeah, yeah. yeah, 66. Um, He's, he's on the older side, and I said, if you've been a position coach for this long and you haven't received an NFL head coaching gig, I'm pessimistic about the outlook of how that will go. Like, if, if, if you were this good, like, if you're this caliber of coach, it would have happened by now. That was my initial thought. But yeah. I, 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 oh, sorry. sorry. No, no, I think you're right. It's, and it's, I think, on the face of it. Um, but, you know, my, my retort to anybody that I suppose the, the Cully thing is, I suppose you probably – if you thought we were just going to go and hire the best coach available, um, I think that would be too simplistic and perhaps overlook some of the structural issues we've got as a, as a ball club. But I think, you know, I think games like, or certainly this preseason seems to have kind of, or, or felt or felt not as bad as you thought it was going to be. And I suppose you probably prepare yourself for the worst at times as a fan. Um, but yeah, what do you think of Cully then? What's, what's your kind of outlook and what's your overall sentiment from the article? So I would say in the article I kind of talk about in the last three months, I think Coley is a face that is easy for Texans fans to cheer for. His demeanor is wonderful with where the team is. Uh, I, I think he's the right person, and they might have known more about the drama that was to come uh, with Watson than we knew. Yeah, And he's honestly been the perfect personality and person to take care of this. We'll see what that looks like on the football field. But from what we have seen, at least in the preseason, 
is a team that looks competitive, something that at the end of the Bill O'Brien era and that like that Baltimore, the Pittsburgh game, like those guys didn't want to be out there. It looked like at times. And then the last 12 games, we all knew that was a disaster. Um, The guys that are out there, they're competing. Uh, The team is marketing and handling itself well internally, despite all the distractions. And he's kind of, he's creating something and a culture and a team that is really easy to root for despite everything else going on. So I'm impressed and I'm glad to have him right now. And what it may be, I think this is probably could be a lost season, no matter who is the coach. And I think he's the right man to guide us through. Um, it's it's going to be a tumultuous 2021. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. And in terms of Cully, I think is we've seen that early, early days now, I think in terms of this preseason and, I suppose Sunday was, or sorry, or Saturday night was was definitely a. It was definitely felt like a step in the right direction. I think probably what what kind of softens the cully blow to a degree is the quality coaching staff, which we're seeing. Like you touched on there, we look prepared, we look ready to play. And and what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, where do you rate this coaching staff in terms of in terms of? But you know, without going too specific player wise, but when you look at both sides of the ball, you think you've got. A defense there who has an identity, which is for a long time we've not been able to say that. Apart from Cronell, you know, playing prevent soft coverage, relying on stars to try and get home to the quarterback and not really having much on the back end. You know, I, I think, and then you've got an offense who you know probably didn't cover themselves quite in glorious at the weekend there against Dallas, particularly considering how bad that Dallas unit was, and they've not overly invested in. Tank Lawrence wasn't out there, but yeah, you know, how would you rate the coaching staff and in a position that they're in, where as you said, there's positivity growing. But how how much how how much can you speak to the fact that this coaching staff and the job they've done, considering the amount of new players they've brought in this offseason? That's a good question. Uh, rating. Let me think on the rating and just let me. I'm just going to talk about the coaching staff for a second. I. I like how it is assembled right now. Uh, one of the problems with the 2020 Texans is it did feel like the world was on Bill O'Brien's shoulders to put together the roster, put together the offensive game plan. Like there was a lot riding on one person. And Coley very much comes off. He's the captain of the ship. Uh, this is Lovey Smith's defense. And you're right. I think something that strikes me about on the defensive side is all the defensive players, whenever they're interviewed, they talk about, how much they like being in the scheme, like how excited they are to just go out there and play and play as a unit. And I mean, anything is going to be an improvement over the defense that we brought out onto the field in 2020. That was a nightmare. So to see them have a firm identity and to be excited to go out there and be playing with each other, that's encouraging. Uh, Tim Kelly was brought back as the offensive coordinator. Many speculated that was to appease Deshaun Watson. Uh, but and it is the preseason, so I don't think we're really going to see a lot of schematic intricacies. Uh, I am moderately concerned about our ability to run the ball. We couldn't run the ball well last year, and this is something we're clearly invested in doing this year. Uh, I know against Dallas we had a really rough time, but against Green Bay we did pretty well. I think we had a, 170 rushing yards. Uh, I like the coordinators, and I like that they seem to be on top of things. And it seems that we upgraded at many of the positional coaches where I don't know, like everyone complained about who was the offensive line coach. Oh, Mike Devlin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People have been talking for years, like get him out of there. And it's just like, we now and Pep Ham, I mean, even Pep Hamilton, a quarterbacks coach, uh, 
there's people on that staff that provide reason for optimism compared to uh, the prior stuff. We'll see how good it is. I, I think the last time we saw the Lovey Smith defense at an NFL level, it was not very successful. But this preseason, those guys are fired up. They're forcing turnovers, which we did not see at all last year. Uh, I'm definitely feeling a lot better about the staff than I was six months ago, let's say. Yeah, you're right. It's vanilla right now, and there's not a huge amount of uh, schematic intricacies and and disguises and looks. And I know they kind of mix some stuff up here and there um, at times when I watch the game back. But yeah, there's. I suppose it's you feel like the play. And I and I I kind of come back to that central question. I don't know what you think, John, but do you think that the do you think the positivity from the players is the is the culture that they've truly built, or is it more from the type of guys that are in there and they've gone after specific guys and the people who did cause them trouble are no longer here. And I, and I, I sort of toy with the idea of, 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 of which one, if it's the former or the latter, but it certainly feels like, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly given it a positive vibe at the start of the season talks about that in the last couple of weeks. But um, I suppose when it doesn't become vanilla, um, that's when we'll know actually if any of this stuff makes sense. I guess that was that was two questions. I'll start your last point. Yeah, we're not we can't really evaluate the coaching staff until we see them run full speed week one against Jacksonville. We'll know. Right. Uh, I think the biggest weakness on this team is our defensive backs and uh, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault and Marvin Jones were are coming to town. And that'll be a good first test to see. Okay, Jacksonville, that's another team that has like, okay, what will they yeah. be doing schematically? Urban Meyer is an equally unknown commodity at the NFL level as uh, David Culley's first time. Uh, but until then, it's good things. And then you asked, is it a reflection of the players on the team or the coaches that we've brought in? Yeah. And I, I, I want to lean that it has to be the coaching staff because we're hearing the same guys from last year give dramatically different sentiments about where they are in the scheme and how they feel about being on the team. And maybe, I know some people talked this week that uh, Ross Blacklock may have taken a, a backhanded shot at, at JJ Watt or at Bill O'Brien. Mm, so maybe yeah. we, we do have some guys out of the building. I, I don't know what to make of that, uh, but may, maybe guys have left that were making it harder to be that excited. Yeah. But I have to think that it's a, I hate this word culture after the, the Easter bee nonsense, but I, I do think there has to just be a different attitude in the building. Uh, yeah. brought, and that starts with the coaches. That starts with the coaches. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you heard the depiction of, of the, the, uh, the entrance to the, the Cully post game press conference. And, and you hate to try and kind of push the kind of, uh, trajectory of people being kind of in a good place about this team because they haven't been for so long they've had not, not had any reasons uh, to be so um, beyond you know blind faith and optimism that you know that's not really substantiated by a great deal but I think when, when you heard the depiction I heard uh, Landry uh, Locker on the Radio 610 talking about it so um, Brandon Scott tweeted out as well both guys we've had on this show before and talked about you know the kind of issues on this team but you know they talked about when Cully walked in that press conference, he was followed in by Easterby. Easterby sits down at the back and observes the whole time. And then when Cully gets up and goes, he goes with him. And then I know there was, I think it was Rivers McKibben pointed out as well about how Charles Amene, who got the game ball, and the first person he mentioned was Jack, Nick, 
and David in that order. Um, and he pointed that out um, in a sense. And I suppose you, we won't know till the games come and this could all fall flat on its face. But just that little sort of, that little story um, really reminded me of the one that was in the SI article about when he went and told the players to be quiet on the flight back from London because Cal needed his sleep. Um, and you don't want to go back to those kind of sort of dark days of kind of trying to make sense of all those articles because it was a lot, it was kind of a lot to kind of process at the time. But I suppose that that little snippet that you see behind the scenes that you don't often get because all the press conferences have been Zoom-led. Um, but I suppose it, it's maybe a reminder to us all that you know, that influence that people detest so greatly and rightly so in some instances, in some instances we, won't, we probably will never know the real truth of the matter. Um, but I suppose it's still alive and well, isn't it? And I think you've got to remember that there's, there's a guy, a guy that's got a lot of influence in this building and is still making a lot of decisions. Might not be personnel, um, but he's, he's still very heavily involved in, in the operation of this football team. Oh, I mean, yes, exactly what you said. Jack Easterby's, his fingerprints are all over this team from the GM hiring to the kinds of guys they've now brought in. Uh, and I think that's been easy for us to forget or at least gloss over. I know I was tired of our team being the dumpster fire of the league, the constant negative press and football coming onto the field and especially winning football where the defense looks a lot better. Davis Mills flashes some optimism. We're winning games. Uh, it's easy to kind of put that aside, but I mean, last January when Cal McNair doubled down that Jack Easterby was an intricate part of this organization, like he was, he meant that. And as long as he's in the building, uh, he'll have an impact going forward. I'm just hopeful that the football product we put forward, and as you said, as we both acknowledged, we won't really know until the regular season, but hopefully that doesn't prove to be a distraction again, because it is tiring. Yeah, it is. I suppose we, let's try and move on to on-field matters. And I think you touched upon the defence there. Um, I suppose, one, how much of a surprise has this kind of unit been? And again, like you want to look past the stats and some great numbers they racked up. But again, you got to remember who the quarterback, it wasn't, it wasn't no Ezekiel Elliott, no Dak Prescott. You know, there's all kind of, uh, you know, a number of quarterbacks, some, uh, some that you've probably never seen much tape on and I'll probably never play that many pro snaps in a competitive game. But, but I think you know early first series was um, they had you know pretty much had their starters out there. Uh, what did you, what do you make of the the guys up front and how you know how realistic beyond those sort of you know great numbers that they posted up uh, five sacks ten TFLs over on Saturday night? Uh, how real is it? How real is that front? I mean, I think they have the potential to be an above average or good unit in this in this league. It's a pretty a pleasant surprise when that might have been the biggest deficit on our team last year. People ran the ball so easily against us. Uh, but I, I'm not convinced. I don't, I don't think it's going to be an elite unit. I don't think we have the top end talent to have an elite defensive front. But what it's showing is that, and this is what a lot of people were preaching. I mean, the roster wasn't there for it to be elite, but this wasn't a total rebuild. Uh, with, if Watson was coming back, because all we needed was, I mean, good coaching and average or slightly above average. We, we don't need a top 10 defense, but, you know, 14th, 16th, 18th best unit instead of, I think they were 31 or 32 last year. And that's going to make a big difference in those close games and your win total at the end of the year. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about the front four. 
it also looks like it's putting guys in position to play better than they did last year, especially some of those younger guys like Aminahu, uh, Jonathan Grenard, uh, Blacklock. They all look more comfortable here. And maybe that's just a product of playing time. But right now I'm feeling good about the scheme that they've put forward. Yeah, and I, I suppose, I mean, the, Nick Casario did touch on that in the offseason. He did say, like, I think that you know, we've got a chance to be good up front and there's, there's probably going to be some tough cuts in there. And I, I think there's possibly an argument to me that defensive tackle, albeit in a different formation, and that's why Brandon Dunn was cut this week because he wasn't really a scheme fit anymore. Um, and he was more a kind of generic nose uh, guard and, and a three-man front. But in switching to this four-man front, with the signing of Malik Collins, Vincent Taylor's impressed me. I didn't quite think he was the player that he's shown, certainly, albeit against some backups. And he had a great spin move and got, some, got a great pressure and almost forced another interception. Um, but I, I think there's definitely an argument to be made. The defensive tackle is one of the most improved spots on this roster. And neither of us have even mentioned, I mean, Roy Lopez. I know the fan base loves him. He's the darling right now. Yeah. (laughs) And all offseason, I was like, guys, let's let's relax. He's a sixth-round pick. You know, if he if if we get any meaningful minutes from him, like it's a win. And I think he has a sack in both games so far. And you 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 did touch on it's against backups, but guys can only play the players that they're but they're being put in front of. And right now they're executing very, very well. So I think we're allowed to be excited about growth on at the defensive tackle and at the defensive end position. Do you think uh, Lopez has got a chance to be another DJ Reader, Derek Newton, late round pickup that blossoms into a starter? Maybe in a year's time. Um, but it feels like he's maybe got enough there to certainly the buzz he's getting in the training camp and everybody was getting hyped up in his reps and you know, every media member's probably commented on him at some point. Then that's translated to the field. It feels like there's refinements to be made. But there's potential as a late round gem there, do you think? I mean, I would I would hope so. As much as any this team to be successful, uh, we need some some guys to hit. We took a lot of swings this offseason. Uh, I think he could do it, yeah. And with how this this roster projects, there isn't like I'm looking at our depth chart right now. It's not like I'm saying there's a huge talent gap between like Lopez and the starters. If he keeps flashing and working his way into that, like I think he can see the field more and uh, you're only going to improve with playing time. So yeah, I would hope that, I mean, if we got another DJ, DJ reader type of guy, someone where low expectations turns into like pseudo pro bowl caliber, that would be big for this team. Yeah. I suppose that like, and there was a, there was a run play that, that it was a good stuff up the middle and then and then I think there was both but the, but there was a couple of bits concerning me and I, I think it's not really been talked about a huge amount but I'm, I'm I've not seen enough yet and you know and we will find out in the trueness of time but in terms of three linebacker spots um there was a series of plays that concern me John I'll talk you through them and see what you th- your thoughts were but there was there was the Pollard run right up the middle uh, I think it was always up the sea gap actually by the time he got there but both but all three linebackers over pursued um, lost gap integrity, and uh, and and he was gone for you know just won a really straightforward run right right up the heart of your unit, um, and then for the second week in a row we've seen linebackers not get enough depth, the rush hasn't got there, um, and the the tight ends just just got dropped nicely in the zone between the second and third level, and found an easy completion and a big completion, a chunk play that you know you know keeps teams on the field and and builds momentum for the opposing offense. Um, 
so that's that's twice in two games. Um, it might just be it might just be a nuance, but certainly I think that's potentially an issue for this scheme and and one of the reasons why people talked about this scheme being perhaps outdated and you know the, the growth of tight ends and weren't you know quite as athletic and and the and the game breakers that they are now uh, when this scheme was you know in in its uh, early formations in the league. So. Um, have you got a concern about the linebackers and, and just you know like looking at those two examples? There, is that a potential weakness and it might nullify some of the good work these guys are doing up front? I'm not as concerned about the linebackers as I am about the defensive backs, specifically the corner position. Yeah. But I think we all knew that even in transitioning, I mean, transitioning to a four-three, we have we have less linebackers out there, but more is going to be put on individuals. Uh, Cunningham. We, we know he's good. He might be overpaid, but he's he's a rock solid starter. He's there. And then we signed a ton of guys to, you know, you hope you find something that sticks. Uh, I'll be, so I didn't get to watch on this past Saturday, but I watched the week, uh, the week before. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of this past Saturday. Uh, and I think, yeah, I, I am a little worried about the linebackers. And that's our, that's our whole defense right now. I think the front is flashing the most potential. And then the linebackers, I start to have some questions. And then when we get out to the outside, I'm like, okay, what's going to happen here? Yeah. I, I think your concerns are pretty valid there. Yeah, and the def- and I suppose the defensive the defensive backs, I think, you know, I think Terrence Mitchell's added an element. And you, you, you got to see those starters out there. And you saw Roby get a nice pass break up early. Uh, Desmond King was doing some work out there. Interesting that Eric Murray was kind of the start and they let Lonnie Johnson come in and play later, um, despite Lonnie getting the big pick six and, and getting a score. And, he, and he's flashed. And I, I suppose it's probably a sense of he's not played many position. He's not played that position long enough, not had enough reps, a converted corner, um, or as he was drafted in 2019. But um, but yeah, I think I think there's still a lot to be worked out on the back end. And I think until you go against the top-tier talent in a league that is apt, there is a litany of wide receiver talent, um, and it's only growing every year. Um, that you know, potentially, that's that's a spot that they they look like. And for me, is one of the biggest question marks. I think as well is is you know you've got Roby suspended for week one, um, and then you've got you so you've got the the instant question. Um, Terence Brooks, you know, Shane Carter got a late interception, but I don't think any of those guys, you know, and certainly <laughs> it's not a Vernon Hargreaves. Um, I'm surprised he didn't, wasn't cut this week. Uh, but again, he had a series of plays where they went after him. So, you know, when you've got a weakness there, um, I don't know if you remember the Sharice Wright um, implosion where he got done on double moves multiple times in the end of the 2018 season. And he was the biggest weak link on your defense. He was the, the fought, you know, he was the, the former, uh, the former weak link to, to, to what you saw with uh, Vernon Hargreaves and um, what was the other guy on the outside again? I'm trying to you probably try and dismiss these memories, but yeah, I, it's um, it's uh, it's it's a concern that, that, that there is potentially uh, a weakness there. That no matter what all these guys do up front, even the linebackers are, are sub, you know, are above you know your average uh, medium line of or the or the the production that you expect them to do. The sold in the run, there's always a propensity when you saw Cornell Armstrong. Uh, out there last year, and when you saw Kian Cross, he was just traded last week. Um, you know, if you go back to the the game, we're actually on the week seventeen. They've done everything right. Not a great play call, and then uh, AJ Brown just takes a huge gain in the kicker field goal. Um, 
Yeah. You know, and that's what it takes. That's yeah. what it takes at this level. And I think that that's the concern. If you've not got guys that can stand up and press, um, they'll be asked to do a lot of zone. But I think that that's always something that we've not necessarily improved because we've not we've not added players there who you're going to make a difference. And I think you have done that at the front end, but getting corners is tough in this league. It's probably the third most important position on your team. I agree with what you said. The receiver talent is at an all-time high yeah. in this league. So you you better be ready to try to stop. I, I like that we're going to – our pass rush should should certainly be better this year. But if your guys on the outside aren't aren't holding up, then there's it doesn't matter how quickly unless they're getting there which I don't, I don't think there are elite edge rushers on our team right now. I think there are some good guys. There's some promising guys, but nobody who I'm looking at and saying like, okay, I think like, I feel really good. Like he's going to generate the pressure we need to take like the heat off our corners. Uh, so looking at the back end of that defense and then Eric Murray, I don't, I don't understand how or why he continues to get time. You'd think we'd want to lean into Lonnie Johnson at this point. Do you think he should be starting? I think on this roster, and this is the year to do it, and I think you know, there's examples on the offensive side the ball will come on to. But I think if there's anywhere you can put an iron in the fire and he can be a good player for two to three years down the line, you're better giving him the reps now in this season where there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be things that you maybe go against you. Um, but that you want, to, you want to take the risk now and go through some of the growing pains now when you've got the opportunity to do so. And I think playing Eric Murray, you know what he is. Um, and yeah. I think if it didn't, if if it made zero, you know, he's a he's a net negative to to get rid of right now. So is Whitney Merciless, um, you know. But I think the you're almost better having them around if they give you something. It's better than just getting rid of them just to clear a roster spot. But I, but then it's sometimes you think, well, actually, the opportunity cost of keeping that guy and not moving on um, doesn't necessarily help you because you want to let guys improve. And you know, there's so many questions around Ross Blacklock, Jonathan Greenard. Obviously, John Reed's been released this week, but. These guys just didn't get a fair crack, crack of the whip last year. So anybody who you think can come in and play at a cheaper rate um, than these guys can do and give you better production or arguably the same production for less cap dollars, then I think it's worth the gamble at this stage. And I think you don't often get positions as a GM or as a head coach or a front office where you get that luxury. And I think they have this for this year, maybe next year. Uh, but it's starting to build the formations of a, of, of a roster and depth on a roster. And Lonnie Johnson's a perfect example of that. And you saw him with the pick six, you know, great play. Uh, but, I mean, how many Ben DiNucci's or whoever it was that threw it to him um, are you going to play every week? But, yeah, anybody can get reps, I think, I think it's an investment in the future. No, I agree that we may be stuck with the Merciless and the Murray contracts, but that does not mean that we need to give them time. Like they're, they're not... They're not going to help this team win games, and they're not projected to be part of the future. Yeah. So there's the, the opportunity cost, as you said. Yeah. Uh, Lonnie out there, Gr like Grinner, like there's a lot to be gained just from letting them go out. And if they make mistakes, that's fine because frankly, we don't trust their veteran counterparts anymore to make the right play. And I hope that the coaching staff will lean into that because this team is probably a year away. Yeah, I think so. At least you know to to, to even be you know, in a, in a position to be competitive, I suppose. So I think definitely my message to people would be temper your expectations on this defense because you can't restructure and you can't find elite pieces. There's a reason why people, if they're at the top end of the draft, nine times out of 10, they'll take an offensive lineman, an edge rusher or a cornerback and because they're just so hard to find. And even when you did have that elite talent, when you had Clowney, Watt and Marcellus all reasonably in their prime and those guys didn't play together enough, don't get me wrong. 
But even when you had that, it still wasn't enough sometimes, you know, because people scheme around you, get the ball out quickly, you know, and, and scheme comes into it. And talent can trump scheme. You, we've seen game breakers, but we no longer have any game breakers on this squad, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. So um, it's a good start. I think the coaches have done a great job to get these guys in a position to play. Um, and I think Lovie Smith is obviously the players have taken to him. Um, and I think he's probably more relevant than Cornell because Cornell showed that at the end of last year and interfered with Anthony Weaver and probably let Anthony Weaver down a bit because I think he deserved a better crack at the whip than he did. Um, but it feels like he's a guy that knows the game well enough to try and get more out of the talent than is actually there. Whereas I think previously in the other coaching staff, we were getting less out of the talent that was there. So I think that that's the big benefit you're seeing right now rather than any jump in talent or improvement on this defense. Do you think that Justin Reed has a, a big enough bounce back year that we pay him big money to stay or that he gets big money anywhere? It depends on his overall game. I think he's been asked to do less. Um, I saw he tweeted out he's, he's definitely kind of, he's confident this year that this suits him better. And I, I, and I think when you watch what the safeties have been asked to do, um, I think, you know, Cronell probably lent on the safety position too much. Um, when when you saw when Kareem Jackson and and Tyron Matthew had that one season, it worked um, because they yeah they knew it um, and actually it covers up a lot of corner play. Um, whereas whereas before I think when you got younger guys less experienced, it just didn't work. And Lonnie Johnson looked lost out there a lot of the time. Um, so I think he was covering for him. He was talking him through the game and it, and it impacted his play. So th there's definitely a, a, a there's there's definitely a chance you know that anybody can break out any given year. Um, because they're all working. A lot of it comes down to luck and health. And he's not had that to the point in his career. Uh, but I, I still think he's got some fundamental flaws in the tackle, tackling game. Um, I think he takes bad pursuit angles. At times he comes downhill. He hesitates. You know, he could have, if he, if he takes a better angle on that offensive lineman on that screen pass to score on Saturday night, he probably makes a tackle and might hold them at a field goal. So he's, I've seen him do that too many times to think he's an elite safety. Um, could he have five or six interceptions um, and, 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 and fill up the stat box over the year, um, get enough pass breakups, make some highlight plays in TFLs and look great to your, to your average uh, onlooker? Yeah, um, absolutely. But look, Quentin Demps did that, did that one year for you, you know, and it's just sometimes it's right place at right time um, and interceptions come in bunches. So I, I definitely think he could put himself in a position to be overpaid by another squad that, that is desperate for a safety. Um, but I, I think when when you think of the team position we're in, George, you know, and I think Jordan Aitkins comes into this as well. Are you necessarily going to pay somebody at that position who traditionally teams don't invest in, um, unless you're in a win now mode? And I think you, and you, and you go a bit more, you're a bit more uh, cavalier with the, your cap management um, and the way you engineer it. So yeah, I, I think it's possible. But I, there's, there's there's certainly an element to me that thinks well, considering the position he plays. Considering some of the flaws in his game, I wouldn't necessarily bet a whole lot on it. I just think it will be really hard to let him walk if he has a big year. Like you said, we, I think he's going to be put in a position to fill up the stat box and asked to do less. So I don't think we're going to see as many mistakes. But he is, in the last three years, when you think of organic Texans talent, uh, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just looking at the depth chart. There's not much it's, of it. I think him. that's simple. Yeah. It's him. Yeah. Uh, I don't I, I hope he has a good year. Just so we're on the same page, you're talking about the Pollard touchdown on the screen pass. 
Yeah, yeah, and he dives in the end zone. He comes and takes a terrible angle, and he, he sort of tries to 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 get around the lineman, but he kind of just almost hesitates slightly. Um, and I don't know if that's him just pulling out preseason, um, or he's you know not been healthy. But he's three for three in his own words in the surgeries after his first three years. So, yeah, I mean, you you, you can never underestimate how much health is. And he was in a car crash. Uh, was it last year, or the year before? And it was kind of underplayed at the time, but I always kind of thought he was never quite right after that. And the way he answered some questions around, it, he said he was fine. But, you know, these things can add up, um, especially when you've had some surgeries. It doesn't take a lot to, you know, bones don't always necessarily heal when you break them a couple of times. So, um, yeah, look, he, look, I think he's, he's a guy to root for. And as you said, there's not many foundational pieces. You know, you want to take three or four or find three or four um, on this defense, but, yeah, I would I would say it is hard to let him go because you're going to have to sign some guys. So he might he might just be process of elimination. Um, but if it wasn't just Justin Reed, is there any guys you've got your eye on in this defense you think could potentially fit into that spot? A lot of guys in one and two year deals, mostly one. Is there anybody you thinks you know a potential kind of candidate? I mean, Charles who gets two sacks. He's just turning 24 this year. Uh, I said Malik Collins, I think he's got potential to get another deal with us if he can stay healthy and play. Is there any guys in, you kind of think fits in that category too? Desmond King's on a one-year deal too, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, I mean, he stands out. Just, I mean, he's already making a difference in the return game. I'm so yeah. glad that we're done watching DeAndre Carter return kicks. I feel like I don't have to hold yeah. my breath anymore on special team. Uh, but, I mean, slot corner is really valuable. I mean, going back to – there is a wealth of receiver talent. There are a lot of good slot receivers. If King can make a, a huge impression at that spot, just so there's one part of our defense that we're a little less worried about on the back end, yeah. uh, he's someone that I'd be pretty interested in extending. I think yeah, I'm, I'm in here. If he, if he keeps looking like this, we're going to want to pay him because edge rushers are at a premium in this league. You want them. I just think when you look at who Charles's agent is at, uh, I struggle to see it. Um, I, I don't think how you can, you probably, if you, if you think athletes first, arguably, you know, they're top clients trying to get out of your club. How do you then get around the table unless somebody else fills in? How do you get around the table and negotiate somebody else? I mean, they might be able to separate the two. I don't know. But if, if, if the, the front, I always think if the franchise's flaws and the, and the, and the approach they took to Cal McNair and thought he was a soft owner and they could, they could bulldoze him and get, you know, get what they wanted. I don't see, and you know, and they've misadvised their main client, um, mm -hmm. in my view, a number of times. Can you necessarily look your other client in the eye and say, you know, I think you should sign here? I mean, they're a huge agency. If we yeah. can never negotiate with athletes first again, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. I have to think that that's a personal issue between Deshaun Watson and Cal McNair, and also mm -hmm. Deshaun. I think has a bit of a, a bit of an ego and a bit of a like gravity around him to think like, okay, I can, I can pull this power move compared to, I mean, I, I would hope that uh, Charles is that he likes being in this locker room. This is a team that took a chance on him late yeah. in the draft and he's really coming to his own here. Uh, I could, I could definitely see him staying. And I would think that at some point agent aside, uh, that just they're only 32 NFL teams. Yeah. The big I don't think they're gonna tell all their clients we can't tell you to go here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I think he, he's potentially got the you know the 
the chance to, to, you know, and you saw some stats last year in terms of, you know, the amount of snaps he played, he, he over-indexed in pressure versus versus a lot of linemen, you know, in the league. So, you know, he, he's I think he's got the potential because, you know, we've seen Lovey Smith, he likes to rotate the guys up front. So his snap count might may go from like 35, 40% in that region to like 50, 60, 70%. And, you know, and some teams may look at him and go, actually, if we, we could play him 85% of the time, you know, we think that justifies 10, 12 million dollars a year in, in Casario. We don't know what his, you know, what his true policy on paying guys will be, but it, there's there's a propensity to go, well, you know, we'll let you go and test the market. And if you want to come back here for what we deem as a fair rate, um, that was always the mantra in New England. Uh, we are not Patriots South, but we'll find out on that front um, what the approach is to paying people. Um, but yeah, I think that there's definitely some positivity uh, on the defence and it was a, a good outing. Certainly, certainly filled up the stat box and certainly you know made made you feel better about what this line can do and do enough to you know maybe kind of cover up some stuff on the back end. But I think the, the, the big issue I think you took away from 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 Saturday was the, the offensive struggles. Um, what did you make of the the kind of the, the limited series that Tyrod was out there and um, you know a couple of three and outs? Um, they got a short field. Obviously, Mark Ingram scored. Surprised he was out there. Is the main running back, but what were your kind of observations of the 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 offense, and where do you think they're going wrong? Uh, I I would like to chalk it up that they're not gonna pull out the whole the whole playbook and in the preseason. I'd like to think that we'll see some more some more creativity, schematic diversity there, but a lot of it does come down to I don't I don't think this is a particularly there aren't a lot of game breakers on this offense. I'll put it I'll put it that way. Uh, we know who Tyrod Taylor is. Uh, I mean, Conley, Nico, it's a lot of question marks at wide receiver. Yep. Mark Ingram, this coaching staff seems to feel very comfortable with him. I, I want to see if he gets that time in the regular season because I think we're all expecting Philip Lindsay to be the guy in that backfield. Uh, but it has been noticeable that Ingram, for two weeks in a row, he's listed as the number one running back on the depth chart and that we continue to see – essentially no usage of David Johnson, which, you know, that opens up carries for Mark Ingram, uh, for potentially uh, Scotty Phillips. I I have low expectations for this offense, um, so I'm not not horribly surprised at this point. Are you? Did, were you expecting big things? Like, if I said over, under, 16th best offense in the league? Oh, under, yeah, every day. Um... I, I suppose that the big the big challenge for me is you were going to have to be overly reliant on running the ball and be able to do it at a, a reasonably high manner. You'd have to, you know, if, if the offense is to, to find balance and even be close to that 16th mark, you've got to be over 16th, probably best rushing attack um, to balance it out because you, you certainly aren't going to get the big plays and it's going to be a lot of short, sharp stuff over the middle. But for me, I... I I think it was it was a big issue that Nico Collins missed reps because he, he I know they said they held him out, but I think you know he only got one catch could be the week prior, so he's got one catch going into the final preseason game. So can you rely on him right now? I know he's been the 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 camp star this year, um, but for me, I, I I've been quite surprised at Philip Lindsay because when he's been out there, I've not seen him he kind of make any runs, and you think you know this guy's uh, this guy's going to lead this Russian attack. I think that coupled with the fact that the only starter missing from the offensive line was was Tunsil, um, out with COVID. Um, obviously, obviously not uh, not keen on the vaccine, and you know, look, that's everyone's personal choice. But it's affected him in a way that he's missing time. Um, 
but you know that's his choice to make and he's, he's quite a mindful guy um, but I don't think he necessarily transformed your line in the run game either so um, it's not his, it's not his, you know his, his clear strengths pass sets and that might be wasted considering the skill sets of this current quarterback so yeah I I, I I think what you what you'll want to see this this uh, this final game against Tampa um, is is can they run the ball better because you know even you know even like Joe Tyron who's their, their their number one pick you know they're talking about him exceeding expectations as an edge rusher um, so you know the, you know and the strength of that team and why they won the Super Bowl last year was was because of the strength of that offensive line and the injuries to the Chiefs you know front unit so. I think it's going to be a good test, and and I heard David Cully talk about today earlier at the, the media availability that they might play them right into the third quarter. So I think this is going to be a you know, and then you've got that extra week now than you than you normally did. It's almost like a mini buy going into the season. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're going to have to get some answers on this run game because so far, if you take out Jeff Driscoll's uh, run only approach, because they basically said there's no point in throwing it, and he's an athletic guy. But he padded the stats, um, and look, I think you, it's, it's important you talk about beyond the stats. But there's not a lot to be, you know, overly confident that we're going to be able to run the ball the amount that we need to run it to keep this offense balanced. Yeah, when I wrote my my game notes before the podcast, yeah, my second bullet point is we are a run first team that I am not convinced can run the ball. Yeah, and I know they're trying to because we've put Titus at left guard to try to make. I guess that that left side really something that we can trust and run towards. Uh, but yeah, Phil Lindsay hasn't looked at least for the highest of expectations, probably hasn't met them. Mark Ingram is who he is at this point, And we're all tired of watching David Johnson try to go up the middle. <laughs> that third and two or was no, it was, was it fourth and two or fourth and one against fourth and one, uh, which was a Phil Lindsay carry. I think, um, this week, um, the David Johnson was the week prior, um, and it just kind of screamed back to to, to previous Bill O'Brien. I mean, I always remember the one in Seattle uh, where where he ran it right up the, the middle with Lamar Miller, um, and you you got to ice the game, um, and you probably saw so many. I mean, that's probably the most egregious one when 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 it could you know you you put the the ball in your best player's hands, but you've no longer got that best player. You do need people to get you positive yards, but I mean, I suppose. How, how can you rely on a 31-year-old running back who was basically dismissed by a team that is well-run, that has a good roster? Um, he's now becoming to your first. So I, th- I think I, the concern for me is if Mark Ingram's getting more carries or is slated to certainly get your short yard and stuff, and I know it's probably skewed because it was the short field, the, the turnover that um, that Jacob Martin stripped and uh, and, uh, and Charles Amene, who kind of recovered. And so, you know, short-distance stuff you're probably going to put um, him in there, and that's probably his going to be his sort of kind of main attribute for the team. But it's a worry, I think. You, you you're looking to base yourself as a fundamental principle as a football identity at running the ball, and I, I'm not sure we've got the personnel to do it. And I think not only have we not got the personnel to do it at, at tailback, I think the interior of the line is still working itself out because you said you've made those changes. Um, and I, I and I thought Charlie Heck did quite well uh, from from the, the snaps he was out there. There was a I put a clip out and he's hugely athletic running down the sideline. Um, and actually the the the, the speed of him uh, doing that, I was quite impressed. You know, I didn't think he was that athletic. So you can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to solidify the left with your two best players, and it might just be run left, run left. I always remember the game in Dallas in 2014 
and Dwayne Brown was just out there in space, zone blocking, um, and Foster just kept running it and running it, and you could have just you know paste and copy all game, and it, it you know almost what won you that game went overtime, but but I think it's it's a concern, and and I don't think I don't think you can find answers in the season. Uh, James Camden is going to have to do a hell of a coaching job to get this get this uh, team running, but for me, I think if you look at the you look at the tight ends, and I thought, oh, Claire, you know, came in and he's got a chance to maybe make this roster. He sealed off the block for um, Ingram. Whether he got over the line, if, if that had been a real game, would that have necessarily counted? I think it might have got pulled back for the, you know, put it on the half half yard line. But you know, the, they're obviously trying to find ways to run the ball, but I don't think they've got any ways that are necessarily proficient. Because I couldn't tell you right now, John, if this is a zone team or a power team, because they they flip flop between the two constantly and don't look great at either. I mean, we can see their their commitment to, like, I think we have an idea of what they want to be as a team, what they want their identity to look like. And I think there's some cognitive dissonance that, one, it starts with, I don't think it's what the fans expect. Uh, I saw a clip that uh, Rivers McCown posted this week. They talked about Tyrod running ball. And Coley's essentially like, we're not going to ask him to run. Like, he has he has the option to run. Uh, like we're taking we're taking a step backwards in quarterback mobility and what the offense can do there, like whether or not like what Tyrod's reputation is. And then two, if we think we kind of know what the coaching staff wants to do, which is be run run dominant this year, they might not be ready to do that at this point, which is difficult to acknowledge. Uh, also, quick question: you, you talked about the Seattle game. Is that a, was are you talking about twenty seventeen? Yeah. About- yeah, the, yeah. the Watson Russell Wilson shootout. Yeah, the, that that one hurt. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was there that day, and I always remember it because I thought I thought there's no way we're going to do. You know, it was always you know Miller for two. You know, that was always the joke. Uh, him and Lamar, uh, oh Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue, and they say yeah Blue for two. That was always the other one as well. You know, because the run game under O'Brien in the scheme, the scheme that we've not changed. Um, by any great you know stretch of it, from what we've seen, and again, it's vanilla. Um, there's not much flavor in there, but uh, but yeah, I think it's definitely you know. And look, I, I think you'll you'll be able to judge what this offense can be once you can run off the play action. Tyrod's got more mobility than your average quarterback, um, and you'll be able to see some wrinkles in it. I think it'll open up things. The linebackers have got to respect it. And you've got some big tight ends that are going to be able to find you some nice matchup problems. But it's, yeah, I, it is a concern. It is a concern, I think, um, what, of, of where this team's going to find that identity. Because I, I think they're still searching for an offense. But as I said, the, there's a lot to be built in there. And I think scheme is more important than offense, obviously, than it is on the other side of the ball when you just want, you just want to stack talent and, make, and let guys go and make plays. Um, but a guy like you touched upon right at the start in an early draft pick this year, and he's had probably an undue pressure put on his shoulders because he was Casario's first draft pick. That's the biggest look we've got at Davis Mills. Um, how do you do? You feel any differently about him than you did after the Green Bay game? I mean, not really. I wrote, I charted his game after Green Bay, and I essentially wrote that the talent is there. You can see it. He makes some really nice throws, but the simple stuff continues to be too complicated for him right now, or more at least more complicated than it actually is for him to be an effective NFL starter at this point in his career. And Davis Mills, again, against Dallas, looks like a third-round draft pick. He is a project. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, so I think it's been good for the fan base to, and because I think undue pressure, as you said, is fair because he's coming in. Uh, he's like, he's like the car your dad buys you when your parents are getting divorced. Like it's, it, you're, you're, it can't make up for what's happening. And he comes in with, yeah, the, uh, you know, Deshaun's like, Deshaun's asking out and then that's complete chaos. And one of the first things the new regime does in Houston is they, they take Davis Mills with their first pick and they say, this is our guy. I think the fan base has been kind of excited looking at him for months now. I think like you just have to remember that he is, he was taken 67th overall. Like yeah. he, he's a project. I mean, I'm encouraged. Don't get me wrong. And I'm excited about maybe what he could be in a little bit, but yeah. I mean, the problem with this team is constructed is well, one, if we're bad enough, I think, I think we're going to know this year because if I'm trying to, trying to figure out how I want to phrase this, if, if, if we're really bad, Davis Mills is going to play. And he's either going to win us enough games to take us out of the pick selections where we could select his replacement or he's not. And I think it would be really hard if we saw him start five, six, seven games and yeah. we lost all those games to say, okay, we don't need to take a Spencer Rattler or a Sam Howell. So. I think when you look at the history of Tyrod's career, there is a good chance, you know, that he's going to miss time. Um, he has done his whole career, so you know, heart, heart players stay heart is an adage that you know is often proven to be true. Um, so considering that fact, there's probably going to be a situation at some point in the season that arises itself to sink or swim, and I think it's probably a question for him of considering once you get into regular season mode, the reps and all the kind of stuff now, this we should be seeing the biggest growth you're going to see from because this is the most live action he's going to get. That live action then reduces you get into the regular season humdrum. It's like he's going to be scout team. He's going to be taking reps with the twos. Um, and his opportunity to get better is going to lessen. Um, and when that sink and swim moment comes around, will he have enough to win you games or even make you competitive in games? And I think what you've seen right now is he could he could maybe not harm you. Um, but, you know, and I, I think, he, you know, uh, Gary and Christian, um, the guy they picked up from Washington, completely whiffed on a safety coming um, on a blitz and it ruined that last drive right at the end of the first half and actually got forced out and it was the, the play that he got five for intentional grounding. So it wasn't a good look. Um, but again, he's got to set up the line, um, you know, protections on the QB to get that set. Um, but I don't think Christian did him any favours there right enough. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, it's there's going to be a situation where it's going to be put on him. And I think what you've seen up to this stage in preseason, when you look at, you know, I always remember Brock Osweiler looked good in preseason and did not look good in there. So I think if you don't look good in preseason or you're not even, you're not leading consistent drives, he's not thrown a touchdown pass yet. Um, it's probably not going to happen for you. I, I would think at this stage, and it's up to him to develop, but um, a guy who threw less than 290 balls in college, um, the learning curve was always going to be steep. I mean, you touched, you said, we haven't seen enough. And if we compare that to the other rookies in this class, and I don't think it's fair to compare him to his first round peers because there's a reason he was not taken in the first round, but there are traits or decision-making, like just the processing or plays that you see with all these other rookies. And you say, okay, we can put them out there 
and they have a few things that can get them through their rookie year while other things develop. I don't know what, if we put Davis Mills out there right now, what he can confidently hang his hat on that's going to not win you games even, but just like how how is he going to survive against an NFL defense? Because the checkdowns, they're not necessarily happening. That short stuff he's really forcing. And then, I mean, the long, he does have some, some pretty balls there. And like you say, he's some disservice playing with the second string offensive line at times. But I do not think this is – ideally you would want to sit him for the whole year. Yeah, and I think and I think that probably puts the it puts the emphasis or the or the level of importance this club's got if you know to try and to try and be competitive and make these games kind of worth watching. Is it the, the pressure on Tyrod to stay healthy is great, um, and I think if he goes down, we're going to be in trouble. And that's the same for every every club. I think you're, you know the, the starting guys are, are there's always a drop off. Uh, but yeah, I think he, he didn't show enough that made you overly concerned that you know you could write him off. Uh, but there's still so much to work on there. Um, and, and as I said, the opportunities to improve are going to be limited. But that being said, um, I th- you've got a potential. Um, our best player might be a punter. What do you think, Cameron Johnson? Because he's been booming them. And I think Frank Ross and that unit in the games, and again, preseason. Uh, but, you know, but for starters, our, our true preseason um, tests, um, it's special team guys out there because it's limited reps and you, 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 you're going to put a lot of the guys out that, that will be there, you know, week one through 17. So I think the special teams has been, it's going to have to help us. And we've not seen Andre Roberts out there, but I think the punter Cameron Johnson looks great. Um, he was the reason why he was the biggest contract and the longest contract you gave. Um, he looks like he can, he can really do something for you and flip, you know, be an advantage for you. Um, and we've not really had that for a long time. No, there's some optimism there. That's a pleasant surprise. That's all you can say at this point, uh, and one that we need. Uh, the kick return game has felt like, I don't know if you would agree with this, but it's felt like a negative the past two years. Oh, no, undoubtedly. Yeah. No, no explosive plays. And if we don't turn the ball over, I'm just relieved. I'm like, great. Okay, thank you, DeAndre Carter. Like, please let like the offense come out now. So whether it's – I think Roberts is projected to start or if, if he continues to miss time and it was King, I'm more confident in him than I've been in the past. And then Fairbairn's on that huge contract, but his his numbers, if they stay steady, it should it should be an improved unit by virtue of it was an atrocious unit last year and just law of averages. They'll improve and there's some guys that you're excited about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I think that's enough for punter talk this week, but I think that's you've got to find the silver line and really have it. Yeah. Um in a season like this. And it does it does look like a plus. Um, you know, and I think we've been searching for answers there. And we had the Trevor Daniel and then we and gave a big contract to anger, moved on. But I think it looks like we've generally upgraded at that position too. So um, you know, flipping the field and trying to give your defense the best chance to to get, you know, to get off the field and, and as Lovey Smith talks about scoring points. Um, he'll certainly help you with that. And it's about complimentary football to go back to a well-trodden Bill O'Brien phrase. But um, in terms of in terms of anything we've not touched on, um, anything you want to see from the Tampa game that we need to see to sort of kind of help you work out who's going to be on this roster and who's not going to be? I'd like to see well, – well, you're asking things I want to see or for roster cuts or for projected starters? Is it yeah, both, both. I mean, I'm ready. To, I'd like to see Nico Collins out there this week. Yeah, obviously. I think. 
I mean, I know Chris Conley's had, he had a nice first game. He had a huge target share, but I think he's a relatively known commodity in this league at this point. Uh, Collins gives you a lot more upside at that big body receiver that Tyrod Taylor likes to throw to. And for this offense to be a step above, I mean, you and I are both saying we don't even expect them to be league average, but to like take them out of, and if, if we want a chance at average or above average, I think he would need to step up and pretty much command that X receiver or is that I think uh, spot on the offense. Uh, so I'd like to see him out there. Uh, the offensive line could generate more push. I don't think of roster cuts. Yeah, for me, for me, I want to see if they're going to keep the the first the first. I mean, if you think of the offense primarily, um, I want to see a bit more Anthony O'Clair what he looks like in catching passes because I think he's he's close to you know with Kahali Waring getting cut this week and that experiment's over now. Um, that uh, that you see what O'Clair can do in the passing game because I think you know Jordan Aikens hasn't been out there much. I don't know if that's something to monitor or it's just purely health. Um, but he's he's definitely. He's definitely out there. Um, he made a block, and so if he can do one, one half, can he can he add value in, in the other half? I think Pharaoh Brown, I think, is your number one tight end on here. And I want to see Brevin Jordan catch some balls as well because he had that one um, that one kind of speed rollout um, where he's just kind of dumped it off to him and he, he, he looked, you know, as advertised on that one play. But he needs to show that he can get himself consistently open against backup type players uh, for sure. And I think for me, Scotty Phillips, we talked about this last week, but I think Scotty Phillips has got to have a chance because you you saw what he did in the run game. Uh, you, you saw Rex Burkhead get a get a pass up against Mika Parsons. Look, Mika Parsons is a is an elite talent. So you you can't you know from a Dallas point of view, you're going to hope he's going to you know be able to cover um, you know aging running backs out the backfield. But you know, does Scotty Phillips give you more in, in third down? It looked like in the Green Bay game he did, but you saw less of him this week. Um, so and obviously they've they've cut. Um, Jackson there um, from the they picked up last week scored against Green Bay so he's cut so you think the the chance is one less on the roster so Phillips will get some more more touches I think this week um, so I'd want to see what he could do behind you know the the best light if you've got the number ones out there what can he do because at this stage we don't really need to learn anything um, about them but yeah David Johnson interesting one because he's a net negative guy as well so he's kind of one of the guys that you think well he had one catch who was a, it was a broken play. Or, or a pass attempt was a broken play. So I've not seen much from him. So I think his, his role's up for question. Um, I, think and I want to see Philip Lindsay play well. I think we've not seen that yet. Mm-hmm. I think we have to assume that them guaranteeing David Johnson's yeah. contract that he's here. And that's why I don't see any purpose to keeping Rex Burkhead because we have an aging running back whose best role is to come in on third down and catch, and catch passes. And that would be David Johnson. He looked at his best last year when we even put him out wide to catch or just put put the guy in space. And we have that on the roster. So, yeah, I'd like to see Scotty Phillips get more time as well, certainly. And then I, I kind of assume the front of that backfield will figure itself out. I mean, if we had an encouraging run game, that would be nice. But I don't think yeah, that's going to change much for yeah, and I think that that ebb and flow over the season as well. So you want to give yourself options there, but mm-hmm. um, but I think we we look a bit old and we look a bit slow, um, and there's not enough gaps for those guys to hit. So yeah, hopefully we see a bit of progression um, against Tampa because even their backups, you know, are of a good of a good standard. Um, I don't know how long we'll see Vita Vea, uh, 
Shaq Barrett out there. The linebackers are ranging in cover, so it's going to be a good test. And if it, you know, if it's another sub fifty yard game um, or a sub fifty yard half, um, I think we'll you know be rightly concerned, and, and we'll be hoping just by by getting by against the weaker units. And if you can't run the ball, um, that's going to be a big one. I think we can. If you flip it the other side of the ball, I think one guy we you know we, we've seen obviously John Reed go uh, this week. Um, a Z, big Z, um, just been a, a victim of the numbers there. But I think we talked about that earlier in terms of defensive tackle being improved with the guys up, up front. But it, it even got brought up in the broadcast, and it, again talked about it last week. But I think it crystallised it this week. Shaq Lawson um, out there late. Um, he either doesn't want to be here because he's Deshaun. You know, I was thinking that yesterday. Is it because he's close with Deshaun? He got mm-hmm. traded here. He didn't sign here. Um, maybe just hoping he can go and go and find himself some catch on a roster roster elsewhere this season. But he's out there late, um, and I think he he's like the odd man out right now for sure. Yeah. I mean, assuming that Merciless is uncuttable, which I think we would both agree. You think we can find a, a trade partner for Shaq Lawson? I don't know what you get. I mean, I suppose you know if you it, just just flipping slightly over, you know, with current news. Casero uh, makes another trade yesterday, so you know we're, we're. I think he's what's that up to seven or eight trades he's made now. Kadar Holman, uh, who's out of Toledo, comes in as a as a depth guy at cornerback. You know which we need. We talked about that earlier, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out any move at this stage of the, this off season. Um, as roster roster cut downs go, I think we'll pick up a, a number of guys on waiver wire. Um, but yeah. The, the, there's got, and I think Demarcus Walker as well. He's a guy that's right on the edge. But you saw him driving guys back, and and actually, I I, I hold my hands up. I wasn't impressed by uh, some of his tape last year, and, I, and from what I watched, the selective games, and you saw his sacks. They were all just kind of missed assignments. Um, but he looks a guy that could add some value as a rotational piece. So would you rather have, you know, uh, would you rather find out what you've got for future years, um, or do you keep guys whose contracts are bloated? But I I, I don't know if Casario is necessarily tied to any of these guys and I wouldn't be surprised if there is some high profile cuts because it happens every year I just would have a hard time cutting Shaq Lawson as I mean say what you want about uh, McKinney that's a real player he's a good little linebacker in this league and he in Lawson was the key return piece from that I mean just two years ago he was signing that big contract with Miami I can't believe that in a league where we just traded a sixth round pick for a corner that played two games really last year for green Bay. I saw, I went and looked before this thing. I saw two games where he played over 40% of the snaps that yeah. uh, a pass rusher with the reputation, with the reputation of Lawson could not bring back an early day three, late day three pick. Yeah. And I think people, this is, I suppose this is the time of year that, you know, everybody's got potential and hope and people are probably more likely to make moves now than they would, you know, be a few weeks down the line um, as the season starts to unfold. But yeah, there, I think there's definitely some cuts at the edge position there because um, there's there's probably enough players who, are, who have shown, there's enough players who have shown what they can do. And then you've got Merciless and Lawson. Who I, I, I struggle to see a position where if you keep both those guys in the roster, then you're probably going to be letting a guy who's probably, you know, looked decent enough to, up to this point in the preseason that they probably would warrant a spot. But um, I think we'll find out more um, this week, uh, but I suppose I mean you've got to remember as well these preseason games are only part of the evaluation, um, and not and not and not the majority. I would suggest for training camp and and and, uh, and their attitude meetings and 
and uh, and what they've you know bring it to the locker room as well. Going back to that culture piece. Do you think we'll get any? Uh, does Hard Knocks come out tonight or did it come out last night? I uh, know it'll be out Tuesday. Yeah, it's out Tuesday night on HBO. So yeah, I don't know if we'll get anything. I I saw the one last week and I think it's become almost not unwatchable, but it's certainly not what it was. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of soft human interest pieces. Not a huge amount about the actual building of a football team. Not a huge amount of behind the scenes conversations anymore. It's all kind of out in the open on the practice field. You know, there's not the, you know, the dramatic moments you've seen in some of the, the, the seasons prior. Offense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the first episode and I was kind of underwhelmed. So I haven't watched since then, but I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm kind of hoping we get some good uh, Texans footage thoughts on that game. Uh, well, I think that when you saw the, the Rams joint practices, uh, there was no mics on the Rams guys. It was all from afar. So if it's the same as that, um, which I think all teams are kind of almost shunning it because they're, they're, I think there's so many people that are paranoid about competitive advantage, giving anything away to their opponents. I think it's so it's so edited to an inch of its life. Um, I think it's taken taken a lot over that. But you never know. Hopefully we'll maybe yeah. get maybe get something an insight thing. Because I remember was it not uh, against against when the Texans were on it? You saw Rick Smith making a trade in the stadium when he picked up Chris Clark from Denver and. You saw him in the car driving on, you know, talking to John Elway. So they were the kind of good parts of it you got to see behind the scenes. That's why fans liked it. But when you watch it now, I think it's pretty light and it's just kind of, it's personalities over uh, over the substance of what you want to see behind the, behind the curtain of the game, really. But any of the cuts surprise you this week? I was surprised by Rod Johnson last week, actually. I think he's failed in training camp. So I was a bit... Yeah, I think he he showed at times. Um, I remember putting out a clip last year when he, he jumped out on a screen pass, blocked the blocked the lane, and and uh, and did it better than probably some of your starters had done. And actually, ironically, we ran the ball better in the games that Tunsil was out than he was in for, and Rod Johnson filled in admirably. I thought that was a bit of a shock, um, in, in terms in terms of those kind of cuts. But I was I think there's definitely some more to well. come. Because he yeah. did look he looked good in the. What did Tunsil miss one or two games last year? I think it was three or maybe four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he he filled in admirably. There wasn't a huge drop off. And I thought, I mean, he was kind of considered like really good in the run game. Like he can he can pass protect. Uh for me, it was just affirmation that they must really like Charlie Heck and what they're yes. seeing. Which is funny because I feel like that pick was kind of uh pretty heavily criticized we were like why are we taking a swing tackle uh last year when we felt set with titus and tunsil but that's been a pleasant surprise that they feel that good about heck yeah and it could be one of the best best under you know undercurrent storylines of this year if you you pick up a right tackle in the forefront and prove your line by putting a guy who's got the potential to be a an all pro guard i suppose um then yeah, I think you, you start to solidify that unit and sharp sharp can play it right tackle uh, sorry right guard. Then yeah, you you you've, you kind of got the line set there. So just the question I suppose is Justin Britton where he is health wise because he's not played for two years and then you've got potential Lane Taylor and, and uh, Marcus Cannon as backups if, if they can be healthy. Uh, but they're two guys who we haven't seen anything of. So at this stage, you think I can't see both being here um, uh, on this roster because you just can't carry that many guys up front. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see where they go. Yeah. At least I will say as a unit, 
I feel better. I don't know if I should. I'll ask you this question. Do you feel better about the offensive line going into this year than you did last year? Uh, I don't. Um, but I think everybody made that mistake, didn't they, last year? That they thought it was going to be, you know, you'd invested so much. You know, it was like you'd, you'd put so much money into a car or a house. You thought, well, it was obviously going to be better. But then the, the performance of it, you know, did not warrant the investment, I suppose. And it's the engine of your team. Um, mm -hmm. um, and it, it will it means so much to have that because if you look at the teams that are competitive at the end of, end of the season when it comes into January, it's all, you know, invariably it's the best lines out there. Um, and that's why these teams make it. So, yeah, we'll, 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 find, we'll find out, I think, in, in time. But I suppose it's, it's this kind of period that you've seen a bit. We'll probably see a little bit more against Tampa this weekend. Um, you just want to get to the real stuff now. And I think that's, <laughs> that's the stuff that uh, we'll find out the answers to it. But in terms of... Uh, your expectations have they changed now um from when they did at the start of the season for this for this football team are you or where are you at let me pull up the schedule here i want to make sure i speak correctly i was probably as pessimistic as they came in may after the draft and what to expect from this team but if if the defense and this is a big if but if they can continue to force turnovers like this and they're not a liability like they just they look like what we've seen, where the defensive line shows a lot of promise and is a much better group than was generally anticipated. The corners hold their own. The linebackers, again, I mean, you and I both express concerns over the back end of our defense, but if they're not liabilities in the safeties, Justin Reed returns to form, maybe Lonnie takes a big step forward. Uh, I, I don't think our, our offense, I don't think they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Like, I don't anticipate us turning the ball over a lot this season between the veteran running back presence and Tyrod Taylor, just the kind of decision maker that he is. And with that and a defense that may potentially force turnovers or be better than anticipated games, like, like I'm kind of starting to think that we should win the first game against, against Jacksonville, which yeah. a few months ago I was saying Jacksonville has – a better quarterback, so they should win the game. But you watch that team last night against New Orleans, and you say, "Hey, that that roster is worse than our roster. That's that's a winnable game." Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's there's going to be big tests early. I think you know you go up to Cleveland, uh, you go up to Buffalo, um, and if you get you know if you get torn apart um, on both those Sundays, um, and you've, you've obviously got the Carolina game. On the only prime time sandwiched in between there, then I think you know you'll you'll find out pretty quickly what it is. But yeah, I think turnovers come in bunches. Um, and I remember if you remember Kendrick Lewis in 2014, Bill O'Brien's first year, he got a bunch of turnovers for you. And that season, they just continued to get turnovers. And I think they led the league in turnovers that year. So yeah, it will keep you in games that you have no right to be in, um, and it will win you games you have no right to win. So yeah, if it, but it, they, they come in bunches, like we said earlier. So if, if that will inevitably stop, and you can't rely on turnovers, you can't rely on your 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 defense putting up points. But I suppose just the way the players were coached previously, we just didn't see that, and it's almost like you've forgotten that element can keep you in games and actually be a contributing factor. Um, and you know, we, we saw that when, when you know Matt Shab just imploded, um, and he lost kind of his, his physical his physical element. Um, and kept throwing all those pick sixes, and you just and you you were done early in games. So, um, you know, if we if we can if we can support the offense to be semi-functional, 
yeah, I think you've got to hope you might be into that five to six win range. So it's starting to feel like there's reasons to be more positive than there was prior, I think. That that five or six win range, which still is not great, and no one expects this to be a great football yeah. team, but that, that feels attainable compared to a few months ago when I think most of the conversation around the defense surrounded, can the Tampa 2 even be successful in 2021? But now the biggest question, like right now I'm thinking, oh, okay, can we can we force turnovers in games? Because like you said, that'll bring you places where you have no business being. Uh, so like game, like, like Jacksonville, there's a game like I see November 28th against the Jets. Like J- Zach Wilson's going to turn the ball over and that's an equally like talent efficient roster. Like that's, that's a win that you can reasonably expect if the defense is what we think they might be. Um, yeah, and Carson Wentz looks like he's coming back now, I think, or he certainly looked like he was out there participating, cutting yesterday. So, you know, the the, uh, the evolution or the or the variance of storylines could continue to change. But if, I think for the first time in a long time, I think you've got to take your hat off to the coaching staff who have done a job well ahead of schedule and got these guys in a position to play. Um, and we definitely couldn't have said that for the last... For the last few years of the O'Brien of the O'Brien coaching tree, which has only really produced Mike Vrabel, but you'd probably argue he was going to be a head coach in this league, regardless of who he, what kind of coaching staff he came onto. And Tennessee's the big one. That's you know you you've got these you, you've got the you've got the six games of your division. Um, we've had the you know historically been close, um, but well you know I think we might be short in a couple of areas that that, that may expose themselves against these teams. I think we're going to find out pretty quickly. Uh, how much Watson meant to us being competitive in some of these games. Yes. Indianapolis, Tennessee, like all four of those games last year, very close. I mean, we didn't, we lost to Cleveland by a field goal last year, correct? And now that's. Uh, a- yeah, yeah, yeah. In the bad weather game, yeah, there was a weather delay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? When you have a player at that position, you don't realize how good they are till they're gone. I think, and I, I always think T Hop. Is kind of pissed because because he probably knows that like not playing with Watson now and playing with a guy like Kyler Murray who's an athlete in his own right but not in the same way as a traditional quarterback for is going to make a wide receiver have the numbers that is the requisite to get in the, you know in the Hall of Fame and that's probably his ambition so I always think that bitterness is inbuilt in that and I think yeah you will see that um, on the Watson element it obviously it hangs over us and as we said the Casario era doesn't really start until that's cleared up. Have you got any kind of um, thoughts, these reflections on how that'll end up before we get out of here? I won't pretend to be a lawyer. I will say it's a disaster, and it is one that I'm surprised that the NFL, a league that is, I mean, I would say they're the best-run business of all the major sports leagues. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're just content to let this PR crisis continue in yeah. the year 2021. The, uh, the top 100 video? Yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah. The awkward video, uh, that was something, wasn't it? I think that was, I think that just showed you, you know, whether it was that SI article that came out a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, the, the some of the complainants, you know, were, were not, um, or were highly critical of how the, you know, the Lisa Freel and that team um, are handling that investigation. Uh, but we know they're still not sp- even spoken to Watson. So I don't know. I I, I think when, when we've had everything going against us, it, it's like the, the, you would have thought the league would have learned by now how to deal with these, kind of issues um, because if they just suspended him and put him on the exempt list it just would have taken the heat off that a little bit more um, 
So yeah, that continues to rumble on, and that's really that's really. I think I think Casario thought he'd be on that list by now, and I think the fact that he's not um, is on it. But look, he's I think he's got. The, I hope he's got the goal um, to bide his time and wait for the right opportunity to move on. Because if he if he doesn't, um, you know, you're selling a 15 year annuity here. You're not you're not selling a you're not selling a one or two year rental. You know, I think it's and that's and that's what he's just got to remember at all times because the the future of his career and this franchise hinges on it but um, I'm not quite sure where it ends up it seems to get cloudier and change regularly as well yeah I mean for every positive report and by positive don't get me wrong there's no positive press about Watson right now I mean yeah. we see a development I think we saw it three weeks ago like Philadelphia in advanced talks to acquire Watson yeah. and so like that I was like oh it's happening this week yeah well yeah it's just all bluster though you keep seeing it, it coming in and out and it's people that want the move to happen, that thought the move would have happened. And I think that's him, his agent, the camp. Um, and it's just not moved because it can't, I don't think. And uh, people, you know, people aren't going to buy that 15-year investment. Um, but they're not sure if it's even going to be legal legally to be on the road. So Houston yeah. actually cannot sell until they're going to get full sticker price on Watson as an asset. Yeah. You can't you can't sell for what people are willing to trade for. And and I suppose did you hear Spencer Tillman's comment about it was that and he was sort of pumping Casario was the best job a GM had done ten years went a bit viral. I think one of the big media insiders retweeted it, but I, I suppose his job doesn't start in my opinion. And I, I I'm almost willing to discount all these moves in their sort of three to four year evaluation of a GM. But like his job, I don't think starts until he gets those picks, and then you find out if those picks are successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is this will be the defining crisis of his career. Uh, I think Casaria he's drawn a bad hand here, uh, unless he knew about the legal drama when he got hired in January, which I I doubt would be the case. Um, yeah, it felt it felt a little hyperbolic to say he's done the best job in the league, <laughs> but at the same time, there wasn't exactly a lot to work with, and he's brought in. I mean, they've really turned over the roster, and this is this is a different team. Uh, even if all anyone wants to talk about is Watson than the team we saw in 2020, so I do think there's some some praise due, even if we haven't seen him get to play his biggest cards yet. Yeah, yeah, it's it's early steps. Um, it's small ones, but it feels like we're kind of edging back um, out of out of where we're, of where we've all been, which has not been a great place. Um, but I saw a video today that I retweeted out. Um, it's it's just good to have football back, and I'm starting to kind of feel that. Um, not to use the Texans' corny strap line that they've obviously paid some marketing agency to come and try and rebrand them to help them sell the season tickets that they can't sell. Um, but mm-hmm. the football feeling, I suppose, it, it is real. Um, so they're appealing to the appealing to the uh, the sports fan rather than the Texans fan because I think they know they've they've wronged us all. But edging ever so closer to football and edging ever so closer to better days I think but um, John thank you very much for your time mate um, appreciate appreciate an hour uh, just talking through pre-season before we're, we're getting back to football you want any, any last words before we head out I do not have anything to say uh, thank you for having me and hopefully uh, this season gives us something to keep that football feeling because if we lose that week one game to Jacksonville we are I think we're in for a very long very yeah. long season yeah, embrace the slog, um, as I keep saying. Um, strength in numbers this year. Enjoy the game or the the event around the game more than the game, and I think a lot of people do that. But if you've not learned how to do that, I, I suggest this year might be the year. But 
Um, John, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we'll be back again next week um, to talk the fallout uh, from Tampa Bay as we get ready to see where this roster cuts down. There'll be another five players in cut as the roster uh, continues to get trimmed down to the 53. So um, thanks again for John for his time. If you haven't checked all the stuff at podcasttexas.com, if you watch on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe. We're trying to build up our visual element of this pod this year as we're trying to get you through it and we'll do our best to do that. But we'll uh, see you again next week and check everything out at podcasttexans.com. Mm-hmm.